Welcome to Good Sex at NYU, a podcast about sex, relationships, health, and mental health in a sex-positive space. So if you're looking for sometimes serious, sometimes funny, and always sex-positive discussions, then you're in the right place. I'm Danielle Elliman, Associate Director of Sexual and Relationship Respect Services at Counseling and Wellness Services. I use she, her pronouns. And I am April Fellers, a nurse and sexual health educator at the Student Health Center. I also use she, her pronouns. We are two white, cisgender, heterosexual, female-identifying clinicians, one with a medical background and the other with mental health experience, who seek to create a space that is inclusive of all identities, backgrounds, and perspectives. Activation warning. The contents of this podcast is about sex and relationships. The topics might be uncomfortable and awkward. But we hope that listeners will sit with their discomfort and consider new ideas and not judge others for their identities, their likes, and desires. The intention is for the conversation to be positive, but at times we may talk about harms, boundaries that were violated, and trauma that has occurred, which can be difficult for some listeners. Take care of yourself. Listen to your body, and if need be, turn off the podcast. Consider what your body and your mind needs to move through the reaction to difficult content. This could mean turning on a TV show, listening to music, calling a friend, going for a walk, or reaching out to Wellness Exchange at 212-443-9999 or Safe Horizons at 1-800-621-4673. Today on Good Sex at NYU, we are continuing our conversation with our colleagues, Dr. Virginia Robertson and Dr. Sandra Corrette who are medical providers in the GYN Health Department at the NYU Student Health Center. In the last episode, we spoke about various services available in the GYN Health Department, as well as pap smears and HPV, or human papillomavirus. While these episodes are independent of one another, I think listeners will find the information from our last conversation really helpful. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode yet, I highly recommend it. Today's topic is dyspareunia, which at its most basic level means genital pain during or after sex. And that definition is extremely broad. And just thinking about my own experiences and experiences of other friends, I feel like there are sometimes that sex can be painful, you know, if it's your first time or there's no lube, those kinds of things. And so I'm curious what your clinical experience has been with dyspareunia, if you can kind of describe what you see in a clinical setting. Sure. I'm happy to do so. And I think it's a really important topic because... We see it, you know, we as GYN clinicians, you know, hear about this pretty often from from folks. Uh, and you're right, sometimes it's just because it's the sexual debut and it's the first time and everything's kind of getting used to everything. But what we really hope is that people can have consensual, essentially, you know, generally pain-free sex, pleasurable, you know, really a meaningful part of their life. And for those that are experiencing discomfort or pain during sex and it's not acceptable, um, you know, for some people that might be okay. Okay, but for those where it's not acceptable, we certainly hope that they have the ability to say, one, to their partner in the moment, let's just hold on here. And two, maybe begin to do some of the sort of thinking about, well, why is it painful? Is it something about lube? Is it, was this really what I wanted right now? Is there some other kind of intimacy that I prefer right now? Mm-hmm. Do we just need some more lube? Do we need a different position? And sometimes some of those things are discoverable and can be solved and, and uh, you know, with good communication. I, things like your series actually probably goes a long way to help people understand about the sexual response and their own bodies, their decisions 
assumptions about sex, mm-hmm. cultural norms about mm-hmm. sex. And that helps, you know, also make this, even if it happens, as sort of hopefully a transient kind of thing. But if there is, you know, kind of persistent pain with sex, that's where we certainly hope that folks will come in and let us help them and really talk about what the situation is and, and begin to do some of the assessment of the dyspareunia. And is dyspareunia the <laughs> clinical diagnosis? And what are the criteria for someone who is generally diagnosed with this condition? We think of it as really a descriptive term, right? Dyspareunia, painless sex, basically. When we hear that it's repetitive or recurrent, persistent, not going away, and it's really interfering with the enjoyment of sex or just causing distress, that's when we really begin to think of it as something that should be further diagnosed and really kind of delve into, well, what's the underlying problem or the contributing problems? Because sometimes it's more than one thing, potentially. Mm -hmm. So what does that clinical process look like? So if we talk about pain during uh, sex, but actually it's genital pain, right? So it could be from any part of the genitalia. Uh, so that's part of like a bigger scope of a diagnosis itself. And that would be uh, in male or females, again, or trans, you know, any uh, a pain during sexual activity. So the focus is will be female genital pain during a sexual activity. And uh, the process will be first to the interview. So we'll have to get the history to see how long this is going on. Is this a first time? This is, did you enjoy having sex before now? And now this pain is happening. And where is the pain associated with mm-hmm. what? And uh, there are conditions like, you know, we mentioned briefly in terms of was it in your menstrual cycle? Were you in a position, lubrication, right? Or there is something else underlying that is causing this discomfort or pain. So for the various areas, you know, it could be dyspareunia, which is strictly penetrative pain. Mm -hmm. So when there is penetration, there is pain during penetration. It could be uh, vulvodynia, which is pain in the vulva area or the introidal area, the entrance to the vagina. Or is it because you have some vaginismus that now is causing deep pelvic pain in addition to pain during intercourse. Mm. And then you don't have to have, as I mentioned before, intercourse to have the pain. So Mm. is this something that is during uh, masturbation? Is it something that is during fall play, during playtime? What causes in this arousal process that this is constricting and this is painful? That's kind of like the description, right? You just mentioned a couple terms, vulvodynia and vaginismus. What are the kind of the, the similarities and differences. And then I'm also curious if there are terms for somebody with a penis. Mm-hmm. So is this paronia for mm-hmm. penis because mm-hmm. it's, you know, pain, dyspareunia in female or male, that's mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. A vaginismus, well, that doesn't apply or vulvodynia because they don't have a vulva or they don't have a vagina if it's a uh, male gender sex, you know, from the beginning. But if it's a trans and they have not done reconstructive surgery, you know, and they do still have vulva or vagina in addition to other right, then it could mm-hmm. be painful, mm-hmm. okay? And that could be due to medications and scar as well. So going into the uh, vaginismus, for example, so that is 
involuntary contractions in the vagina. Your pelvic floor muscles, so the vagina has muscles around it and connective tissue that is holding everything in place, and then that contracts. You know, it's almost like, you know, your muscles here are contracting when you're doing like a workout. So basically that's exactly, the vagina mm. is working out. <laughs> it's contracting, it's squeezing the vagina in there. I mean, if you have heard the term of Kegel exercises, familiar with that, right? Or when you try to hold the urine, uh, you don't want to pee or you don't want, you know, to hold your bowel movement, you know, like you're like constructing all that, you know, pelvic floor. So that happens involuntarily. Mm -hmm. So that's vaginismus. Something that you don't control, you don't know what is going on, and there could be conditions that is provoking that. So that's part of our investigation in your evaluation. Yeah, and and vaginismus, you know, that concept that it's involuntary often is something that is really good to share with folks because it's not, it's subconscious. It's not, you know, and and so they don't have to feel guilty about it. Mm -hmm. It is a... A reaction that happens and and can be learned unlearned over time probably that the muscles can learn to relax differently. Vulvodynia is a little bit more around the um, external structures of the vulva and can be many things, but it has to do with kind of the skin and the nerve units being perhaps a little hypersensitive, abnormally sensitive, or just indiscriminately sensitive. It it can be a a large number of different things, but as you can imagine, even with just simple touch, you know, sex play or masturbation, that that can trigger, uh, you know, kind of that kind of pain or odd sensation uh, in someone with vulvodynia. And then because it, you know, if if it's going to be penetrative sex with a toy or with a penis or fingers, it could just, you know, that it, it's the entry point. So it can be difficult. So it can be any of the structures of the outside. And, and there's a lot more discernment that has mm-hmm. to happen about like where. A lot of times we encourage folks to show us on a picture that we might have on the wall of where they notice the pain, or we use a mirror so that they can go ahead and point it out to us uh, so that we can then and look very closely. Sometimes it's something quite local. There can be infections that are local on the skin that if we treat the infection, hopefully the nerve overreaction will subside. Sometimes there are scar tissues that you alluded to that need to be assessed or other skin, primary skin conditions that can can cause this. I think probably all of us here realize that once there's some pain having to do with sex, you become a little anxious about it. Mm-hmm. And, and then that becomes this vicious, vicious mm-hmm. cycle, right? Mm-hmm. So because you suspect that that pain is going to hurt more. So you, you know, kind of maybe do some the more avoidant. Yes, pain memory. Mm-hmm. And then, yes, it, it all just kind of heightens it. So yeah, so those are sort of some of the common reasons for dyspareunia. Other infections more deep in can also cause dyspareunia. Um, so somebody who's got gonorrhea, chlamydia, maybe they have pelvic inflammatory disease that usually is more associated with pain with like deep thrusting mm-hmm. uh, or endometriosis also can be um, sometimes associated with dyspareunia because of the process of endometriosis causing some scar tissue deep within the organ, you know, the structures and the pelvis. Mm-hmm. So these are sort of some other areas that we end up thinking through as we hear about the history mm-hmm. and have the person, you know, show us what they're experiencing. I just realized as for the first time as a pregnant person, that the cervix is a little more sensitive mm-hmm. when you are pregnant. And so that also, <laughs> yeah. that was surprising to me. And yeah. I was like, yeah. oh, that's that's mm-hmm. a yeah. different sensation yeah. and right. a little bit so, painful yeah. in yeah. a way that yeah. I hadn't expected. And that is because it's coming down. Yes, because mm-hmm. it's like Is that a lot of pressure? So now you have what we call organ prolapse, even mm-hmm. though it's not really prolapsing like <laughs> yeah. you, yeah. that you can imagine is coming outside, right. but uh, it is in a different position. Yeah in a different level. So now it's 
it's reaching out easier and then it hurts more. But positional also can be helpful, yeah. you know, and that's one of the things that obviously we examine mm-hmm. and then we counsel about. Mm-hmm. You asked about folks who have a penis and so they can also have pain with sex, uh, you know, usually with erection or ejaculation. It's It needs to be delved into itself uniquely. But again, scar tissue, right? Could, you know, with the expansion of the, the penile tissue, that might be the reason for it. There are some underlying kind of conditions that are are hard to define as to why that, that occurs. But those kinds of things can happen too and take some delving into. And what are some of the causes? Is there, I'm thinking about from my perspective, sometimes I'll see someone who's experiencing pain in that like it could potentially be mental health as well. Like they've experienced some kind of trauma. Definitely. Like are you looking into that as well as you're like doing your assessment on, again, you want to maybe rule out some of these other things, but then also sort of taking into consideration what kind of trauma they might have in their past. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you know, that sort of, I think that that's just part of our basic history taking to find out about that because yeah, it will inform how we approach everything and, and it can be an important discovery to, uh, you know, kind of think about, well, what are going to be the best therapeutic approaches? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because, you know, as I sort of said, you've got that pain, anxiety syndrome, and, you know, certainly something where there's trauma that caused pain that in and of itself it has its own kind of approach of treatment and really doing both at the same time, even if there are some physical things that need to be done to help alleviate the vaginismus or the vulvodynia or whatever, mm-hmm. that working on both of them together is critical. You know? Yeah. And I don't know if you read recently uh, the newspaper was this article in the New York Times about mm-hmm. sexual assault victims and a description of term of freezing. So this is something that I just bring up because sometimes, you know, when you ask them about pain and their history, they don't recall this event Mm -hmm. as Mm -hmm. it was painful Mm -hmm. because one of the natural reactions is to freeze. Mm -hmm. And then you're just like, you know, dead there, whatever is happening is happening. You don't even know that's happening. But mentally, that is not frozen. And that is working in the back end. And that's when you had this interview yeah. and then you had this history taking that that could be actually the source. Yeah. Unconscious, again. Right. Yeah. right, like you were saying that the pain memory. The, the pain memory, but it's, but it's, it's this memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, in my, yeah and in my work, like we talk yeah. about, you know, the body remembering. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, yes. Even yes. if your brain yes. isn't fully engaged in the moment because yes. you need yep. to survive the situation. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes we talk about freeze, we're still kind of engaged in our brain though, mm-hmm. right? But we also have collapse response when Mm -hmm. you're not really like maybe you're outside of your body Mm -hmm. and so you're not fully present inside Mm -hmm. of your body and so like you don't really know but your body still knows yes exactly your body is still experiencing it so sometimes like you need to unpack some of that Mm -hmm. as well as some Mm -hmm. of the medical stuff that might also be going on and so i've definitely worked with you all in collaboration when you know folks that we work with have experienced Mm -hmm. these kind of pain during sex and other reasons could be again not associated with sexual trauma but i mean uh trauma i mean they felt they had a straddle injury Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, as a child, mm-hmm. and that was very painful. Yeah. And for weeks, you know, this person could not, you know, touch, pee, do anything, you know? Mm-hmm. So, again, that pain memory is yeah. there and then anything that mm-hmm. it will be similar to oh my god like mm-hmm. something is coming at me mm-hmm. and no thank you mm-hmm. uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think it's important that we like make sure we're expanding the definition of trauma I work specifically with mm-hmm. people who experience sexual assault but I think you're absolutely right like yes. I think one of the things I was always taught as a kid that like oh like if some person with a penis tries to attack you you're gonna like kick them you know between the legs mm-hmm. right like that can be trauma yeah, of course <laughs> right like yeah. you've had I mean maybe I don't know what they're doing not that they deserve it never mind 
mind. We're, we don't need to get into that. But just sort of saying that. I think people that are not even attacking you, most people with the penises have at some right. point experienced it's, that. It's yes. trauma. Yes. Yes. Sports, yeah. yes. Right, right. But just say like that could be trauma and that could be where they're experiencing, mm-hmm. you know, pain or it could mm-hmm. be like some level of trauma or, you know, whatever. So just sort of naming that trauma doesn't just mean the sexual assault. It does yes. mean some of these other things too. Mm-hmm. You could have a really bad experience with a GYN provider. It's and that true. Can, like, exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And the other addition to a trauma, it could be somebody who's not familiar with their anatomy, mm-hmm. which a lot of people aren't, mm-hmm. and they don't know where to place things. Mm-hmm. So, example, a tampon, mm-hmm. and they're trying to insert a tampon in an area that is not appropriate, and then mm-hmm. it's traumatizing. Is mm-hmm. you know, so now again, is that yeah. vision? Is that memory? Mm-hmm. And that is another trauma. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's not just sexual assault trauma; it's any yeah, kind so, of trauma. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're bringing up some trauma for me, man. I was I'm like, so no, no, no. I, I'm saying, I'm, I'm sort of joking. But when I was in like middle school, I was the first person to get my period, and so I was like the the tampon expert. Oh, oh. So I had to like help people oh. to figure out like <laughs> where how to insert a tampon. So absolutely, I think that still yeah. happens. I was going to say the opposite that oh. I feel like the only reason I could still use tampons is because I had a decent first experience. Literally, my mom mm-hmm. just showed me the box, but didn't really tell. She was like, "There's instructions inside." <laughs> (laughs) there are with pictures but she like she was like pads are really easy so just use pads if you want but if you feel an adventurous you can use the tampon and figure it out yourself and so like i think that the only reason I still to this day is because I had a decent experience the first mm-hmm. time. I was like, oh, okay, this isn't so bad. But if it had been really terrible, yeah. who knows? Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> it's still, still traumatic. Yeah. I'm going to just say one more thing about sort of the other thing, of course, that we always have to think about with, with folks that are having dyspareunia is what is the nature of their relationship? Mm-hmm. If they're in a, you know, a relationship, how is that relationship, right? Not everyone's in a relationship. They just have sex sometimes. And then, you know, that's a different, you know, sort of thing to sort of think about in terms of how how we're conducting things but if they're in a relationship how is that relationship because you know that too if it's a relationship where there's room for being able to say no and let's try something else and let's and i need to work on this with the doctor <laughs> that's great if it's a relationship where it can't it can't happen for whatever mm-hmm. reason then that also begins to obviously influence things and that's also i think a, an important thing for us to explore we don't mm-hmm. always have the answers for those sort of scenarios but to find out how to to bring the right people to the to that solution. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Yeah, really sort of speaking to power and control and dynamics within exactly. a relationship mm-hmm. and how that can add a lot of pressure into a relationship. And if there's pain in other parts of the relationship, then it can also yeah. Com- yeah. bleed Absolutely. over into you know our sexual lives as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah. mm-hmm. can you share with us a little bit about like what some of the medical treatments are for some of these things that we've talked about? I know that I've you know referred some you know clients for physical therapy, or not mm-hmm. me specifically, but talked to them mm-hmm. about like physical therapy for vaginismus. But I'm wondering like what are some of the other things that might be done for someone experiencing some of these things. Yeah, I mean, so if there is, a, again, depending where is the pain and what is the attribution to that pain. So if it is something that is dyspareunia, so penetrative uh, pain, and it is superficial, so there are like exercises and, you know, things that you can do to try to 
come to terms with this, you know, approach and then to, for you to be comfortable. And that could be as easy as to start with like a tampon insertion or dilators or something to that nature, because also there are conditions that can actually narrow or co cause constriction in the vaginal opening. And then that per se is going to be painful, right? Mm -hmm. So to stretch that, to make that, you know, happen. Also instructions about how to do penetrative sex when it's not hard and then make make the penis be soft and then hard inside. Mm -hmm. So that way it's softer the entry and then it's not so like traumatic, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the techniques that you do. So there are a lot of things that mm -hmm. you can do. And if it's deep penetration pain, so again, you address if there is endometriosis, mm -hmm. there's an excellent mass, is she pregnant? Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, what is going on, then, then you can actually instruct. Uh, and if there is a relationship, you know, trust or mistrust, and if there is a problem in the relationship, how do we approach that? Because a lot of the time, that's really what the nature of the problem could be. Mm -hmm. And sex therapy mm -hmm. and exercises, that could be one of the approaches for that. If there is no anatomical, right, mm -hmm. uh, reason that we can uh, fix or approach, and or if there is no infection that we can identify that is causing this problem. Mm -hmm. So so that's for the dyspareunia part. In terms of the pain itself, so if you control pain for one thing, then you might be able to unload everything else, to mm -hmm. let everything else loose, mm -hmm. you know? So mm -hmm. it can be all combined. Uh, so a multidisciplinary approach is necessary mm -hmm. uh, to have, you know, people that will treat the pain, people that will do physical therapy, people that will do the mental health aspect of it. Uh, so all of that is in conjunction, mm -hmm. okay? And the medical people who will then prescribe the medications or mm -hmm. do the uh, yeah. operations or surgeries mm -hmm. that might need necessary, that kind yeah. of thing. And just to clarify, the, the physical therapy we're talking about mm -hmm. is pelvic floor PT, which, yes. right, yes. Is, which yes. is what you were talking about with the vaginismus and the, the involuntary contractions mm -hmm. of the pelvic floor. I would love to hear your thoughts about, you know, a lot of times when we talk about pelvic floor physical therapy, a lot of it is in terms of in relation to people with a cervix. And I'm curious your thoughts about, you know, if, if you think pelvic floor PT could be helpful also for somebody with a penis in, in dyspareunia and what that would look like. Yeah, I, I mean, certainly it can be helpful. And pelvic floor physical therapy is even used also for people who have problems with chronic constipation. And there's a number of different kinds of conditions that actually uh, pelvic floor PT can be really uh, helpful. But yes, I, you know, someone who has, um, with a penis who has uh, pelvic pain can sometimes benefit from that. It, you know, there it's really, again, always about, well, what is the underlying diagnosis? Mm -hmm. So perhaps a little bit of a first their stretch that strictly pelvic PT is mm -hmm. going to be the solution in those circumstances, mm -hmm. I have to say, but, but it can't be a compliment. Yeah. And certainly, uh, you know, there can be things that uh, have to do on the uh, in terms of vaginal health, in terms of being able to make adequate lubrication, certainly someone who's perimenopausal or going through menopause often begin to have a little atrophy of the vagina, less natural lubrication. But that can happen also in younger women as well occasionally. So sometimes it's also just a question of hormonal uh, approaches uh, to help improve the elasticity and the liquid, you know, the liquid surface uh, for the vagina. Yeah. So there are a number of different approaches. 
issues, really. Postpartum patients, mm -hmm. lactation patients, mm -hmm. as well as people who are on hormonal contraception. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because, mm -hmm. again, it's the estrogen component that we are knocking down, and then that's the one that helps out to maintain that vaginal health. And similarly, people with cervix on testosterone, right? The, the, that can mm -hmm. also dry out. The, you know, medications, the, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. hearing that it's really helpful to know your body, which I think is something that mm -hmm. April and I talk a lot about, and being able to safely communicate, whether you're in a relationship or if it's a hookup or someone else, like what mm -hmm. your body needs, right? Mm -hmm. Like if you're hooking up in the bathroom of a you know <laughs> bar, then you don't have your lubrication. <laughs> you know, like it may not, you may need a little bit more, but you're not with, you don't carry around, most of us, I don't know, I don't carry around lubrication. <laughs> but maybe that's something that you need to do if that's where your sexual project is. Mm -hmm. But if you're in a relationship versus at your home, making sure that like you know your body so that way mm -hmm. you know what you need in order to hopefully prevent some of the pain and enjoy it a little bit more, even if you're not having pain like sometimes more i think april you've said lubrication 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 <laughs> when it comes to sex but that's interesting yeah, that you said that because a, yeah. of course not all of us will carry lubrication in our backs okay that's an interesting point but <laughs> it will be interesting also because they will come and say i have painful intercourse so how many times you know the last two times mm -hmm. what happened you know mm -hmm. all that stuff but if you put the whole picture together maybe that was a scenario mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not really this peronia right yeah. because yeah. it's not persistent recurrent you know over six month period this is something that it's just happened yeah mm -hmm. well and i use the bathroom example because like you're in a hurry mm -hmm. like you're, you don't yeah. have time to like do a little bit of the like the pre like let's mm -hmm. do a little bit Lots of the foreplay little for play, <laughs> like yeah. exactly, and yeah. so it's like we're just getting in there, getting the things done quickly, yeah. mm -hmm. and therefore your body has to have time yep. to exactly. self-lubricate. Right. Exactly. Yeah. right? We might carry around a condom, but I'm sure not okay. <laughs> carry around the lubrication. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, understanding all of that about the sexual response is so important. I think a lot of students use the sexpert, um, our mm -hmm. you know sexual mm -hmm. health counselor, yeah. to kind of understand more and more about well, how does all this work together? And I think that that really does a lot. And so even for someone who might need to be referred to a physical therapist or a, even a physiatrist for more advanced treatments for uh, for some dyspareunia, make sure that they really actually just understand their body mm -hmm. and utilizing the resources to, to really uh, up that, I think, is really important. Yeah. And then as far as like the, so this is for vaginismus, dyspareunia, but for vulvodynia, which is the mm -hmm. pain in the outside, so that's a little bit of a different because, you know, there's no muscles there that are really causing the mm -hmm. pain. So mm -hmm. we talked about that it's more a nerve hypersensitivity or reaction mm -hmm. due to inflammation or irritation, infection, lesions, trauma, or uh, scar tissue, things like that, right? So for that, then depending on what it is, right? Mm -hmm. So we calm those nerves down mm -hmm. with either topical medication or actually systemic medication. So we take some probably antidepressant medications might help. There are some neuroleptics there that are used, you know, for this particular treatment, it has some side effects, of course. Mm -hmm. But, you know, depending on how much this is happening, I mean, there are people that cannot even sit. Mm -hmm. I had had patients that cannot wear pants, mm -hmm. underwear, mm -hmm. you know, so you, you titrate that pain down to be able to be more functional. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you keep going and then you start around and, you know, and then you make things better. Uh, and there are other treatments that are, are like trigger point injections where there's like a specific anesthetic that is used to inject the area to, again, tone down that, you know, hypersensitivity. And ultimately, uh, which actually is not an ultimate resource because it could be done uh, primarily as a treatment, is surgery. Mm -hmm. Because when you prove out exactly the mapping of this pain, if it's specifically in the vestibule, which is the right opening of the vagina, you can excise that. Like the nerves on the inside. The, mm -hmm. So it's a tissue, so right? Mm -hmm. so it's the hymenial ring, right? So, mm -hmm. so you excise 
part of that. And then by advancing some of the vaginal tissue a little bit further out, which is a tougher tissue, less sensitive, mm-hmm. then it will reduce that mm-hmm. pain. Of course, now you have the secondary side effect possibly of scar tissue mm-hmm. stricture. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, little complex. it's yeah. a little complex, yeah. but it works. But it right. works, you know? Yeah. And again, there are different modalities. Mm-hmm. There are different things and approaches. Yeah. So not one for everybody. Mm-hmm. We just have to be right. each one. Yeah. It's yeah. your own. Yeah. And I think the message we always try to impart is that it, it may take a while, but there will be solutions, you know, mm-hmm. and and that it does take some patience and to openness. And most people are like, great, bring it on. <laughs> because, of course, you know, this mm-hmm. is an important part of their lives. But, yeah, I mean, we, you know, we, we always want to find out, well, what's your goal? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's your hope for, you know, resolving this? And then work with that to then sort of craft the approach mm-hmm. and monitor it and, mm-hmm. and sort of look for improvement and understanding of where they've gotten to and what's making the difference. Yeah. So, but yeah. it can be a, pro- it can be a long, longish process depending yeah. on what's yeah. going on and, and how long it's already been there, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. It requires patience, it's a journey. compliance. Mm-hmm. But what I'm hearing is that you have the ability to really sort of work individually and see the patient as who they are, what's important to them. And sort of one of the things that I think is so important in my work, but I think it's related to, you know, medical professions as well is to be able to be seen, heard and understood. I've had some encounters recently with medical providers. They're just not hearing me. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in this situation that is very personal and all of our medical stuff is very personal, but like to really sort of feel like someone is listening to them and not just dismissing their pain, I think is so important mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. empowering in this process. Yeah. We may not get it on the first try, but we're going to keep working towards your goal yeah. so long as that's what you want. Exactly. Right? And I think that with my experience in all the practices and years that I have mm-hmm. been, <laughs> and that I have seen, I would say to the students at the NYU that they... Student Health Center have providers that are really dedicated mm-hmm. to the student health. Mm-hmm. And we do take care of them. And we do actually, I think all of us at this NGYN Health, you know, truly listen to what they're saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you can see it. I mean, when, when Gina says, see somebody or my other uh, colleagues and I read their notes, you can see that they are listening to what <laughs> the student is saying. <laughs> and, yeah. But, but the, the, the joke is really like, you know, not it's not a joke, but I mean it's like you know these individuals have had this problem for a long time, mm-hmm. and they feel that they were never heard, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame, mm-hmm. and it's sad because why? Yeah. But it's practice of medicine. It's individuals. I mean, not everybody, you know, is right. cut for the same. They're lucky and use our services because yeah. definitely, yeah. I think that's a, a this conversation alone is good to normalize dyspareunia, right? Like I think that people might not even know that this is a thing and they just right. might be like, oh, well, this is just what sex is about, especially mm-hmm. if somebody has had sex from the first time that they ever mm-hmm. started having like penetrative sex. Or I think that just knowing that it's it's okay to talk to somebody about it, you know, yeah. even if even if they're like, oh, I don't know, is this dyspareunia? Is this just mm-hmm. something right. else? Maybe do I need to change mm-hmm. something else? But, but having the ability to come and talk to somebody and knowing like there is a reason, like I'm not crazy for having this pain or for feeling like there should be something better or something different. And, and if I it's think... not dyspareunia, we can determine that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not... So yeah. a, a fair number of students have their sexual debut while they're at college, and, and some of them come to us after, you know, the first try or two, and they're like, it was really painful. And they want to know, is my anatomy normal? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, 
let us work on that. That yeah. is their goal, is to know that their anatomy is normal and have that. And then sometimes that reassurance enough is for that is, is good enough for them to say, okay, I'll go continue working on it. And of course, we talk about lube and communication and, and right. positions and female-led sex in the setting of a female-identifying patient. But sometimes that's enough. And, and I'm always pleased, if you will, that they just feel okay about coming in early, right? Mm -hmm. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, sometimes it can, you know, really avert this kind of evolution to right. dysperunia. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. You don't have to wait long. <laughs> and exactly. you can see the GYN health providers talk to this expert. I think that's a great yes, recommendation yes, for to make an appointment with Alyssa and, yes. and kind of talk about, is this normal? Is this not normal? Right. Yeah. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And some of the students come in and say they've talked about it with their family members, you know, mother, siblings, somebody wow. else. And that's <laughs> always a great sign. Yeah. It's just like, that's great. You've mm-hmm. got, you've mm-hmm. got people in your, yeah. in your, in your, um, course in side. your yep. mm-hmm. well, yeah. good. Hopefully they're not shaming them. Yes. Um, right. You know, right. No, they, yeah, it's you a positive can, experience. Can, yes, yeah. yes, it's true. It's true. It could be it could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, it could be one of those like in the movies, like, you know, oh my God, that hurt. Like it's just crazy. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. 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 But yeah, uh, the times but when no. it's come up, it's it's usually yeah. been that it was a you know, that was their trustworthy person that they mm, went yeah. to. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Are there other things that like put people at risk for potentially having issues or pain within sex? I'm thinking of like at some point I heard, and I don't know if this is true, that uh, people who have eczema or psoriasis have like more sensitive skin in general. And so like maybe their genitals will also have a little bit more sensitivity and maybe they're more susceptible to having like a laceration. Um, I'm wondering, you know, if you all have any thoughts or again, that's just like one example that I had heard. So I'm curious if you have um, any information or thoughts. Yeah, I mean, there definitely can be eczema of the vulvar tissue or psoriasis of the vulvar tissue, and it definitely makes the skin more fragile. And so if it, if that in and of itself is not being treated, yes, all of that you just basically described very nicely can happen. So, so yeah. But are there any others that like, that's just one that popped into my head, but if there's anything Yeah, there is a condition that uh, is called lichen sclerosis, for example, Mm -hmm. and that causes this thinning of Mm -hmm. the labia at the outside, and then it becomes like, you know, again, narrowing, very frail, very weak, and then breaks, tears, Mm -hmm. okay? And there's also lichen planus. I mean, lichen means... Sort of like a scar. Yeah, it's scar, of, but yeah. it's that like lichenification is white. Well, the, the tissue becomes white. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's what lichenification is. It's white, white, whitening of the tissue. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's like a descriptive term. I don't mm-hmm. know what that means, but anyway. <laughs> so those are lichen conditions, planus, sclerosis, and chronicus. Chronicus is like, you know, becomes thicker, almost like an eczema type of like, you know, skin harder. Mm-hmm. But even it's hard doesn't mean that it's not delicate mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. and then also because it's so hard it doesn't lubricate as much mm-hmm. and then it can cause that pain okay. as well so yeah, the, it could the elasticity be is not mm-hmm. as, yeah it's not strong. as much okay. so so all those skin conditions okay mm-hmm. okay these are dermatosis which is one of the reasons why mm-hmm. these pains happen mm-hmm. okay. okay thank you that was helpful anything else that yeah, you want to share with us around this or anything else Mm -hmm. I think that I really appreciated that you were talking about that multidisciplinary approach. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it is, I think, one of the things that we are, you know, have the luxury of working with, uh, you know, within the Student Health Center. We've got great folks and we've got this expert. We've got wellness. We can most of the time refer to, because we're here in New York City, we can refer to really 
good outside consultants. Um, so that's, you know, that's sort of a special mm-hmm. benefit that we mm-hmm. that we enjoy to be able to provide for the students. Mm-hmm. I think that that's important. And that, you know, it, it often does require multidisciplinary. So I think that's also good for folks to understand when they're mm-hmm. coming in for a problem mm-hmm. that it's it's us plus others, you know, mm-hmm. that will, you know, bring the bring the answers. Mm-hmm. And they can their point of entry can be any of those. Yeah, exactly. Yes, it's true. Yeah. And also I want to say that, you know, even though we seem to be, you know, on the same page and we're like, you know, all, just, you know, describing these, you know, amazing people that we work with, sometimes the chemistry between the patient and the provider mm-hmm. doesn't out there. So mm-hmm. you come in with a problem and maybe is your off day or my off day in terms of, you know, how we're interacting and then you don't feel that you have been heard mm-hmm. or that your problem has been addressed properly. So don't be discouraged by that because there are other providers that can actually mm-hmm. provide that mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I want to say that because personally, you know, that happens every yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't manifest every day, but it right. does happen. And then sometimes you are aware of it and you said, oh, I will never go back there, but try not to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, come back and try to see somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because oh, that yeah. problem is important and we don't want you to go mm-hmm. unattended. Yeah. I think that's really important. I like to tell people, you're not going to hurt my feelings if I'm not the right fit for you in order right. to exactly. meet your goals. Yeah. Like, I want that's you to nice meet your goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if it's me, great. If not, great. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I want to help get you there. Like, mm-hmm. that's yeah. my goal, even if it's not the right fit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everybody, yeah, every provider has a different personality. Mm-hmm. And like, like yeah. I've seen three midwives and they're all three different people, right? You know, mm-hmm. And they each have my best interest in mind, mm-hmm. but each of them is a little, like one is a little more fluffy and like mm-hmm. warm and fuzzy, and mm-hmm. one is a little more just straight to the point. And you know, and and, and none of them are bad providers. I think right. I think you know, kind of what you're both saying, just who is the right fit exactly. in this moment right. for this thing. Mm-hmm. You're not going to hurt our feelings, but exactly. I, yes. I agree that yeah. everybody. Yeah at the Student Health Center cares about our students and wants yeah, the best for our yeah, students yeah, and really yeah. is trying the best. Because we read that. I mean, we, we, we read about the interactions, right? When, when it, you are leaving the room, you can tell yeah. what, how you feel, what was the outcome there. And then you don't want that to be a bad experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You want that to be taken care of. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I think that's helpful to know. And reminder that people have power within the context of their relationships within doctors mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. nurses, people that have in our societies have, you know, perceptions of power. Mm-hmm. But really, I think the, the goal is to make it a little bit more of a collaboration. Mm-hmm. And that I think is, is so important, no matter if you're at the student health center, but if you're an off, you have off-campus right. providers trying to make sure you're feeling like you can speak up yeah. within mm-hmm. the context of your relationships with the people that are there to help you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So making sure that you know that yeah. you have the right. Yeah, exactly. And it's very, you know, I I mean, we have such a large international student population and uh, that may that dynamic of, you know, trying to do more collaborative kind of approaches may not be their their medical culture mm-hmm. at home. Mm-hmm. So sometimes uh, sometimes it's a learning process too yeah. that it can be mm-hmm. can it, it can exist, you know. Yeah. We really want to support that. Well, thank you so well, much for being here. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you, you for asking us. Yeah. If you have questions about the podcast or anything we talked about today, please feel free to reach out to us at goodsex.podcast at nyu.edu. This email address is monitored during business hours and may take three to four days for follow-up. We are definitely open to critical and thoughtful feedback, as we didn't cover everything in this episode and might have said something that was inaccurate or that had a negative impact on someone. If you have questions about your sexual health and are an NYU student, you can connect with our Student Health Center sex expert at sexpert at nyu.edu or schedule an appointment through the Student Health Center portal. 
Look at our show notes for additional information and resources, including organizations, articles, books, and videos. If you have urgent mental health concerns, safety issues, or you are worried that someone might have caused harm to you, or that you might have caused harm to someone, then you can contact NYU's Confidential Wellness Exchange at 212-443-9999. Chat with them using their mobile app or email them at wellness.exchange at nyu.edu. For anyone, NYU or non-NYU listeners, you can call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673, the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233, or the National Mental Health Hotline. Simply dial 988 from anywhere in the U.S. Thanks for listening and tune in to our next episode where we continue to talk about good sex at NYU. Subscribe to the podcast to hear all of our quickies and interviews with NYU community members. Thanks to our content contributors for this episode, Bernadette Kerr, Alyssa LaFosse, Dr. Dominic Viney Emisa, Zoe Ragusios, and to our health promotion team, Anna Genova, Jenny Mellum, Parade Stone, and Arna Dixit, and to Gotham Studios and Karen Ortman. 